Hello, and welcome to the Pray the Miracle podcast. This is a short-run podcast of just a few episodes to help you pray the miracle this year. My name is Jimmy Houck. It's my desire that this podcast would be a tool and an encouragement for you this year as you pray for two people who are close to you but far from God. There's so many ways that our prayer can be derailed, whether it be discouragement, lack of discipline, the normal distractions of life, or even just not knowing where to start. We created this podcast to dive into some of these topics for discussion and to help you break through those barriers. Let's jump into this week's episode. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Jimmy Houck. I'm the outreach minister here at Bethany Baptist Church and super excited today sitting down with my friend, Mm. my pastor, and a mentor. Yes, your, um, your older friend. Yes, my older older friend. Not not too old, but uh, a little bit more than middle age. <laughs> Less, but uh, uh, I lived 120. And that's I'm right. Age, so that's right. Well, super excited. Senior pastor Rich Burkle is here with us today to talk about the culture of evangelism that we would love to see at our church here at Bethany. You know, Rich, just a couple weeks ago, we sat down and we were talking and you asked me, what is a culture of evangelism? And so as a, as a good uh, learner, I just reflected back the question to you and I, I want to do that again today and just ask you, what is a culture of evangelism? Yeah, you know, culture is a, a, a very broad term that describes uh, many different things. Um, there's some parts of church culture that should never change. It was part of the culture of the first century church in uh, Jerusalem and then Judea and the other most smart parts of the world. It's, uh, it's part of the church culture today, whether you're in China or Pakistan or the United States. And, and um, evangelism, the desire to go out, out into all the world as we have been recipients of the Holy Spirit, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ is an essential part of uh, the mission of the church. And, and as a central part of the mission of the church, it's to be part of our culture, um, our attitudes, our values, the way we think, the way we relate to one another and to the world. You know, you think of some other elements, and I think of Acts 2 when it describes uh, the church as being devoted to the Word of God. So every church should have a culture of a devotion to the Word of God, to the fellowship. We, we ought to uh, be a culture where we care for one another deeply, uh, to the breaking of bread and then a, and, and a prayer. So there are these fundamental elements that uh, necessarily are part of the culture of every church uh, that's a true church following Jesus. Now there's a dozens and hundreds of things that are part of the culture of an individual church that doesn't necessarily have to transfer to other churches and that don't. But... Um, but this aspect, it's, it's absolutely vital. Um, it's vital to the mission that Jesus uh, sets, us upon, sets us on. It's vital to our identity. It's, it's vital to uh, the very purpose of why we are here. Why aren't we translated to heaven? As we think about a culture of evangelism, Pastor Rich, um, let's step back for a second and just why don't we define culture? You, you kind of just did that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to highlight what I heard you say. Um, yes. So, like you talked about uh, culture being attitudes, yeah, and values, yeah, and it's it's the way we relate, yes, 
Um, would you, are there some other things that, that you would add to that to define like, Hey, what is right. culture? I intentionally didn't look up any definitions of culture before I came here because I, I think it's good to just think, how do we experience that word? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I experience that word as, as, uh, very broad. It's sort of, um, you know, if you use a analogy, you know, of a, of a fish, uh, s- swimming in water, the water is the culture, and mm. some some fish the culture is salt water. Sometimes it's fresh water. Sometimes it's river running water. Sometimes it can be unhealthy, polluted water. But it's it's the water in which we swim in. And so I, I don't know even if a fish is is conscious of mm. of the culture because they're just in it. Mm. And maybe a very intelligent fish would think about <laughs> well, what kind of water am I am I swimming in? And as as people created in God's image, we do think about that. Yeah. But for the most part we experience it. Yeah. And so it's it has to do with communication, our language. Mm. Um, mm. It has to do with relationships, how we connect to one another. Uh, uh, the sort of the norms that we have of what's the appropriate distance that I keep from people that I know at this level, what's the appropriate mm. distance that I that I uh, draw near to at another level, mm-hmm. um, how does that go about? You know, so manners, customs, values are are really important uh, to to uh, a culture. Um, so all these things sort of make up culture, and we think of you know a culture of evangelism. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the questions you're going to ask me is, what is evangelism? Right. And yeah. So short, let's, it's, let's jump it's, into it's that. It's just yeah. the telling of the good news of Jesus. That's what evangelism is. It's it's the evangel who has a message that's going forward to people who don't have the message to announce that message. And so when you think of a culture of evangelism, it's it's um. It's, it's a kind of environment which it's actually very hard to not think about evangelism mm. and not participate in evangelism because mm. it's all around you. Like mm. in mm. a church uh, that has a culture, a strong culture of evangelism, a person enters the church and say, wow, there's this thing called the gospel, even if they're unbelievers, that it's really important to this group of people. Mm. And I'm hearing it you know, from the, the sermon, but I'm also hearing people talk about it. When they come up to me, they seem to want to talk to me about, about mm. this thing you know, mm. that they call good news. And, and then if you are a believer, you come into that and say, you know what? I can't leave here without somehow thinking how I'm taking the message that I just heard and experienced with people and deliver it uh, to others because it's so vital to life. I, I love the I love the image that you used of uh, a fish in a, in, in, in water and uh, I I hope that uh, this this podcast and even our conversation our conversation helps us to be smart fish. Yeah. Right. No, that's right. <laughs> and to that's think right. about like so you know. What kind of water are we yeah. swimming in? Right, and so um, you know, as you, as we think about like the the water, yeah, the the community, right, that we are in here at Bethany, yeah. Um, it, as we stop and try to be smart fish, yes, right. Um, what what are some encouraging signs that yeah. you see in our community? Yes, that would that would help you to to be encouraged. Yeah, that. That actually, um, that's really good. You know, we are in in a, a culture of evangelism yeah. to to some extent. That's right. So, first on the issue of being a smart fish, you know, I, I the church is made up of um, God's people who've experienced the gospel. First mm-hmm. of all, so that everybody has a who is truly a part of Jesus' church has a profound sense of the gospel. 
mm-hmm. and its power mm. to bring salvation. So we've all experienced it. And so you think of those fish, they've all experienced the water. Um, and, and it's fresh water, it's life-giving water. Uh, I, I don't think that every fish has to think about the water, but some fish do. Like, in other words, that's, that's part of leadership. That's part of spiritual leadership, whether it's the, the, the leader at an elder level or it's at a Sunday school class or a youth group or, you know, a small group leader. Uh, leaders, it's right for them to think, what am I doing to help advance this culture? Uh, others just come in and they enjoy it and they, they experience it and they're changed by it. And they might have even thought, very differently. It's just what they've grown up uh, as a Christian experiencing. Mm-hmm. Very similar to a family, you know. Yep. Like so, mom and dad have to think about what's a strong family. <laughs> the kids are just experiencing it. You know, they're yeah. new. They're they're new babies, and they're growing as toddlers, and they don't even know all the dynamics and the mm-hmm. thoughtfulness put in to what it means to be a, a healthy family. They just experience it, and then eventually, as they grow inside that, they come to learn to think about it. And then be able to replicate replicate it when they become uh, leaders of, of various kinds, mom and dads. So um, I, I got off on a little bit of tangent there. No, that's good. <laughs> that's good. You yeah. asked the question, you know, yeah. how do we experience it here yeah. at Bethany? Because we, we, we don't want anybody to be like, man, I've never thought about like, yeah. the culture, so am I doing something wrong? Right. You're, you, I, what I hear you saying is like, there is a culture, whether you, we like it or not. Right. And it's not necessarily wrong for everybody to not yeah. be aware of it, but but somebody yeah. better be right is what you're saying. That's right. And ideally, you know, I guess the one of the better way per people to ask about the cultural evangelism at Bethany mm-hmm. and is really kind of like a a, a lay person, uh, maybe a new person who's, who's somewhat new to the church, mm-hmm. and ask uh, how do you experience. Uh, the value of evangelism as a result of being here. Mm. Tell me, talk to me about you know what have you experienced? And yeah. my hope would be, you know, for instance, that uh, that that person would say, well, first, I, I, people have told me their testimonies. Mm. They're telling me how this gospel has changed their life and how they received the gospel, mm. and uh, how God used that telling to them. And so all of a sudden, I'm thinking about my own life. I'm thinking about who brought the gospel to me. I'm thinking about mm-hmm. how God propagates the gospel. So something as simple as that is we're becoming people who just tell the story of what God has done for us. Mm. And then, ideally, they'll think as I'm listening to the messages, I'm hearing one of the themes that does roll through uh, the messages is this theme of what the gospel is, why it's so important, and what what need we have to communicate it to others. So I'm having to think about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and and then from there, uh, you know, hey, I saw the adva- – uh, for instance, um, we had a, a Gospel Institute class on evangelism. I saw that they had a class. I didn't take it, but I saw that they had it. It caused me to be curious about why would a church – uh, have a whole class, and why would there be people who are interested in taking mm. a class on uh, learning about the gospel? So that mm. that again, it's subtly, it's like okay, it's on the mind. Mm. Uh, one thing that we uh, we don't have that the church that I grew up in had that really was simple, but it it caused me to think about the gospel as they had over the the door as you were leaving. Mm. You know, you are now entering your mission field. Mm. And it, it impacted me. You know, it's a simple mm. thing. If mm. you say, how much did that impact you at the time? I might not have thought very deeply about it. But you, I, I couldn't leave the church without seeing it in some way. Sometimes it fully registered. Sometimes, it, you know, just part of in your peripheral vision. But 
um, I recognize this church wants to teach me that when I leave, my responsibility to represent Jesus Christ is beginning. You know, that's mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. is where I'm to take the the message, and and so um, you know, doing things we we have in the past uh, put tracks in in the the back of the seats and encourage people to take them and mm-hmm. and share. Um, there are various ways that we're trying to uh, build that culture of evangelism, but. But it happens, you know, mostly to me when people who are really excited about what God has done in their life tells me their story. Mm. And Mm. um, oftentimes that story includes someone outside of their family sharing the gospel with them. Mm. Mm. Um, You know, other ways, we we do have, uh, you know, individuals in our church who ask for prayer. uh, because they're going to have uh, a neighborhood uh, sort of party or social at their house, and they want to to use that to leverage those kind of social events to share the gospel. Mm-hmm. I've I've had people say, "Hey, pray for," and they say a specific person they need to hear the gospel. Pray a door would be open for me. So those are kind of things that happen. They're little things that yeah. all together make up a culture. Yeah, that's really good, Pastor Rich. Um, what are um, what are some things that you saw in your uh, your home growing up that um, that y- as you look back you realize you know even in your home there was a culture of evangelism right um, yeah so um, you know again it, it, almost anything that I say is not so profound and and we we run the risk of thinking mm-hmm. that we build a culture by uh, uh, you know, making a plan and doing certain things. Um, hmm. We can do those things and still a culture wouldn't be built because a culture is something that's accepted and then becomes included without almost uh, thinking, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be sort of uh, a part of the life of those who are leading and mm-hmm. it has to be part, become a part of the life of those who are participating. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's always, um, you know, it's, it's a miracle when it happens related to evangelism, but we look for that miracle. Um, in fact, we pray for that miracle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So uh, especially next year, especially yeah. next year, yeah. we're gonna Jimmy's leading uh, theme called "Pray the Miracle." Um, but so in, in my home, first, um, both my mom and my dad uh, had been changed by the gospel, and my dad didn't come from a, a Christian, I'll say, an evangelical or gospel uh, gospel receiving home. And, and so uh, it would be part of our daily conversation about the life of God in mm. some way. So mm. it, wasn't un, it wasn't strange. It wasn't like, hey, let's pray before dinner and then let's depart from that conversation. Mm. And it wasn't just let's say a prayer. You know, it was, hey, let's, let's thank God for our food. And then uh, we would talk. We would open up the Bible. And the whole of the Bible really is the gospel uh, whether it's to unbelievers or believers, because we we believers still need the gospel. We need mm-hmm. we need to be evangelized in some way, uh, yeah. in the sense of hearing the gospel, you know, from each other. And then, um, you know, I saw that commitment in relationships. Uh, my mom and dad, you know, when we were were in the neighborhood, they had a concern for their neighbors, as uh, as uh, many of them were unsaved, mm-hmm. and so we talk about that. Um, you know, they both probably would say, well, we, we wish we would have been more bold, you know, like almost every Christian would, would say those things. But mm-hmm. they, it was on their heart, and I know that they did uh, 
share. Mm. Um, I loved how, you know, um, my dad, now this is when I was growing up, but especially he became more bold because he, he wasn't like this outgoing, hey, you know, I, uh, Bob Burkle's entered the room, you know, he, he was very personal, but he, he wasn't the guy that takes the center stage in a, in a room when he walked in the room. Mm. But uh, he spent a lot of time in his last uh, 10 years in doctor's offices, he said. And he would all, he said, you know, I found people really uh, don't mind talking about God in a doctor's office. So he'd, he'd bring tracks with him and he'd share them with him and ask if he wanted to talk about uh, about the Lord. And oftentimes he'd enter into conversations. He said, I'm just sitting there anyway. So, so he'd have those kind of meaningful conversations, but he was always thinking about that. Like it was Mm. constantly on his heart. Like I want to do this. Mm. There are obstacles on how do I, how do I overcome this obstacle either of, you know, starting the conversation or of overcoming the, the obstacle of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how I'm going to come across, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. uh, how is the person going to respond? Um, and how can I do this effectively? You know, those are all obstacles that believers believers all have. Um, but it was on his heart to, because he knew that what his life was like. And my mom did too. She grew up in a Christian home, but she also was a I'll say a first generation Christian. Every true Christian is a first generation Christian. Um, Hmm. And uh, and my dad though knew the hopelessness of not having the gospel. Like mm. he grew up that way, mm. so he mm. would say, "You know, I just felt just absolute, utterly hopeless until mm. I had Christ." And he didn't really know. He didn't know that Christ is for him. He'd heard about the gospel. He'd seen Christians worship, and he thought, "Well, I guess I'm just not one of those people that." would be granted that gift. Mm. And so so when he heard the gospel and experienced it, like everything changes. And so I think, you know, the, the culture of the gospel begins with the miracle of new birth first. And then with that new birth continuing to feed the life of God in, in one's soul and one's home and one's church. Uh, because where the life of God is growing strong, you will talk and mm. you w- it will become part of the culture. Not because like uh, we did have special times where we'd uh, have family devotions. Mm. So we did have structured times, um, but by far the greater impact was the unstructured times when my dad didn't think, hey, now I need to talk about the gospel because that's what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to create a culture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just, totally. it, it just it just flowed through and became natural then. So it became natural for us kids to think about the gospel together mm-hmm. and to talk about. Um, and, and I remember uh, whatever happened, I remember going to school as a kindergartner, as a five-year-old child, mm. and the number one thing in my head was how many of my my friends, how many people I'm I'm meeting do not know Jesus, mm. and they mm. need to know Jesus. Mm. You know that mm. was rolling through the heart of a five-year-old boy, and it wasn't like, hey, when you go to church school, make sure mm. you, <laughs> you think about the unsaved. Mm. It was just there because the culture taught me to have. Now, the Spirit of God used the culture, Amen. you know, and yeah. I need to make mm-hmm. that distinction, too, because yeah. culture doesn't create this. It, culture communicates something that when it's grabbed onto by faith and God does the miracle, then, then it, that, that, that's passed on. But um, I, I do not remember not having a, a, a deep concern for the, for the lost. Praise um, God. 
you know, my dad also would participate in things like he'd take us as kids to, he'd preach at the rescue mission, for instance, and I'd mm. sit there and I'd be with people that, uh, the kind of people I'd never seen before. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. okay. But yep. there's my dad in love sharing the gospel, and that had an impact on me as well. It's like, this is so important that we're taking time out of our family schedule to go and participate in sharing the gospel with people who clearly need uh, something in their life to give them hope, mm. you know. So those things like that. Yeah. We'd have missionaries in our home, and you know they, they'd stay in our home, and then the you know we with family dinner, we talk to them about their work and talk to them about their participation in the gospel. You know, one family was in uh, uh, Erie and Jaya, and oh boy, that's 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 crazy. Another families in Japan, and so gotten gotten to know these families, and, and you could tell my my mom and dad genuinely loved and honored these missionary servants. Like it wasn't mm. like here's some charity that we're doing, you know, for them. It was like genuinely loved them as people who are doing the work of the Lord and honored them for their sacrifice, you know. So anyway, those are some things. I'm sure there's more than that. Yeah. You have no, to no, ask my you. sister and brothers more. <laughs> They'll tell you more about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. maybe we'll have to have uh, Alexander come yeah, in here yeah, and talk right. about right. his upbringing. <laughs> you know, so Alexander is <laughs> Pastor Rich's, uh, one of his sons that risky, lives in the area. But, yeah. but um, so, uh, you know, one, one aspect to um, evangelism that um, you already noted that we're going to be really focusing on this year is prayer. Yeah. And um, I would, it, it's interesting, though, as I was doing just some research on, um, you know, preparing for this upcoming year, and, and the theme that we're doing is called uh, Pray the Miracle, um, because the idea is that, you know, the Lord uses prayer, intercessory prayer yeah. for the lost, um, often before or as or during the time period where he's bringing servants with the gospel to to mm-hmm. bring about faith yeah. and regeneration in, in people's lives, right? So yeah. prayer is is an integral part. Yes. And so, um, just as a as a as a community, as a church, we're hoping to pray the miracle together yeah. this year and focus on that. But as I was doing a lot of research on, on this topic, I, I found that most uh, books on evangelism had a chapter on prayer. Yeah. And most books on prayer had a chapter on evangelism, but uh, there's, I, I couldn't find any books that were solely devoted to the topic of, pr- of prayer and evangelism. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you find that, if you want to comment on that or not, but um, I would love to have you talk a little bit or share, mm. you know, let's, I want to discuss with you or hear your heart yep. when it comes to, to pairing these two um, really significant disciplines. Sure. Um, and I would say means of grace, yep. even, um, w- which we see in prayer and evangelism and how they fit together. So yeah, yeah. go ahead. You know, no, whatever. that's a great uh, observation. And I, 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 I'm not too critical of that because you know prayer includes more than prayer for evangelism. So it's appropriate that you have a chapter because there's a lot to talk about sure, prayer. Sure. And evangelism includes more than prayer, so it's appropriate you talk about things. But I think your point is is that these two are, are uh, um, wedded in a way that uh, with, with a bond that must not be broken. I mean, they're, mm. they're so, they're so uh, essential to one another. So true prayer has to have a concern for... Uh, the lost in evangelism, um, and true evangelism has to be built on, on prayer. Um, mm-hmm. 
the uh, the scriptures, you know, that, that uh, caused me to think about uh, prayer and evangelism, a couple of them, I'm sure there's more than this, but the two that come to mind, uh, kind of work at prayer at, at different angles. The, f- the first is pr- uh, prayer in the angle of the evangelist's life. You know, what do we pray for ourselves? Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, Ephesians 6, um, He, uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking about uh, spiritual warfare. And it's fascinating because evangelism really is uh, the means by which uh, the kingdom of God uh, battles and and gains victory over the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness. It, it is a spiritual warfare, mm-hmm. and so it's it's not sort of like a an ancillary thing that at the end of talking about the armor, he, he starts talking about prayer. No, it's it's sort of fundamental. I think he's ending on a high point of the necessity of prayer in this whole field of spiritual warfare against demons who are destroying, uh, who are dividing, um, who are darkening and blinding um, and keeping people uh, from being interested in and seeing uh, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And so he says, uh, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So uh, he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So to the end of prayer, uh, making supplication for all the saints. So there's there's intercession for the saints. And I think, you know, in, in reference to evangelism, there's supplication uh, related to evangelism, uh, which he's going to get to uh, here. And he says, and also for me, so what, do, what supplication do we make for all the saints and for Paul? Uh, well, he says that words may be given me in opening my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am I'm an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, there's a little bit of irony here because here's a man so bold with the gospel that he is literally in prison. He's an ambassador in chains. Mm. He's thrown in prison because he's been so bold. Mm. And yet, even this bold guy, you know, this guy with, I'll say, what we might think of as a natural boldness is saying, pray for me. For what? How can we pray for you? That I would have boldness. <laughs> you know, so, so it's like, man, if, if he needs boldness and prayer for boldness, what, what about me? It's huge encouragement. Um, and he says, you know, again, it's supplication for all the saints, because one of the one of the uh, um, assaults or schemes of the devil is to is to quiet uh, the believer's witness mm-hmm. and to make us afraid of mm-hmm. what what the consequences will be when we uh, share the gospel and um, to render us really ineffective in our world in this world. And so, so here he says, pray for all the saints, but also pray for me. And he prays for boldness, and he also that words may be given me. Um, I think that's important, too, because while I do believe and have benefited from sort of memorizing a gospel outline, it sort of follows a Romans Road type approach and a bridge illustration, and good news, bad news is kind of how how uh, that uh, outline, that, uh, that outline uh, sort of liberates me to think about, well, how... How am I going to approach communicating with this specific person mm. the gospel today? Mm. You know, mm. and and so he says, you know, I, I can't rely just on my own smarts or my own experiences. And Paul was very intelligent; he knew the scripture, and he had a lot of experiences with cultural relevance by this time. But mm. he prayed for words to be given him that mm. that his words would be words that the Holy Spirit uh, was leading in, so that the way he shared the gospel. 
uh, would be uh, the most effective and 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 wise wise uh, wise way as as well. Um, and then uh, you know I, I think of uh, uh, the Apostle Paul in in Romans ten. Um, and uh, he says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. He's talking about his fellow uh, Israelite. Mm-hmm. And he knows that the Israel as a nature, nation by this time had, had not embraced the Messiah. There, mm-hmm. there were some Jews. Uh, in fact, that's, that's how the church started. It started as a Jewish church with the, mm-hmm. with the 12, disciples, 12 apostles um, and with the Holy Spirit coming in Jerusalem. And, and so it started primarily as a Jewish a Jewish, uh, um, a Jewish matter, um, but then they were t- to take take the uh, the gospel then to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So that was the commission, and uh, and so on the one hand, Ephesians he said, "Pray for me that I will have words to speak and boldness." But here he says, and my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they might be saved. Mm-hmm. That he's recognizing that while he wishes to use persuasive language, uh, he wishes to persuade people, that his own powers of persuasion are not going to be effective <laughs> unless the Holy Spirit's working in a way that opens eyes that are blind, that that uh, gives legs to walk and, and causes dead souls to, mm-hmm. to live again, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so his prayer was for, very much for, the individuals who needed to be saved. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, you know, a great encouragement to us in relationship to how prayer is such a vital matter of, of a culture of evangelism. Mm-hmm. So, um, w- with our remaining time, Pastor Rich, um, there's uh, there's two questions that I- I'd love to just briefly touch on with you. So, so one would be, um, what um, what are what are some hindrances that you see in people's lives that that keep them from praying the miracle? In other words, what keeps people yeah. from regularly praying? Yeah. For the lost, yep, in um, their in, in their lives, in their neighborhoods, yeah, and, and, so forth. and I think that's because there, there might be a little different list if you say what what hinders people from sharing the gospel. Yep. So we're just saying what keeps people from praying for the gospel to have a saving effect, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, well, number one is a loss of zeal. Of we'll say holy fire of first love mm-hmm. for the Lord. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when our own soul uh, begins to to shrivel in its zeal for the Lord, its love for the Lord, then evangelism is one of the first things to go. It's it's one of the first signs that something's wrong in our life. Mm-hmm. And there is no believer who is on fire for God who does not have a zeal to share the gospel with others. That, that's what I know. And, and so if, if mm-hmm. I'm sitting here listening and I say, I have no zeal to share the gospel, well, <clears throat> I, I, I would urge you, first and foremost, consider the condition of your own heart. Because mm-hmm. I don't really mm-hmm. know anybody who's on fire for God who's, who's not desiring mm-hmm. to, to have an impact with the gospel in other people's life. Now, the, the matter of prayer, too, is, is then this, in, um, this sense of utter dependence and helplessness. So you can be on fire but not have a sense of utter dependence and helplessness. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of zeal, but, but you know, I'm going to do this. And no, I, a sense of absolute helplessness that the zeal has nowhere to go 
to bring fruit apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And then a genuine awakening to a love for the unsaved, a, a, a recognition, a, a contemplation upon their life now without God and then really their life forever without God. Mm. And it's terrifying. Mm. You know, we don't like thinking of hell because it's so terrifying to think about it even. As a believer, mm. I don't like thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's presented in Scripture for a good purpose because it is real. Mm. The judgment of God is a reality. And every time I think about uh, the reality of the judgment of God upon those who are left in their sins, it, it awakens me to 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 pray and to seek ways to share the mm. gospel. So, you know, mm. those things, I, I think too, busyness, you know, you put that in there, you know, I, but that's tied into what I've already said. It's just, you know, I, you get up at, and this is yeah. my my struggle sometimes, you know, I have a meeting today at 6.30 and oftentimes then I go home at, at mm. 8 or 8.30 and tired. And so where do you put it? Well, you got, I've got to make room for it. Mm. And and that's, you know, part of the, the, the disciplining yourselves for the purpose of godly you know and mm. and so uh, that also is another aspect yeah well praise God um, thank thank you so much for what you've shared um, today it's, it's always good to sit down with you um, my friend uh, my pastor my mentor um, as we close it out here just in, just to take I would love to hear just in a couple minutes would you share one story um, I know I know yeah. you you've you've been pastoring at this church for almost 30 years is that right Yes, it's been just over thirty years, so, right? So you may have, uh, you probably have more than one story, yeah, but would you share so one story? Kind of roll through my my heart. Um, well, you know, again, there's so many. Um, I'm I'm so thankful for that. Um, the uh, one that uh, one that's I'll say close close to home, you know, because my what's really one of my own children. I'll just share that because mm. that's what we pray for. We pray mm. for our children, right? Mm. And um, there's one child that seemed to be l- later than the other in um, in uh, embracing Christ mm. as Savior, you mm. know. And uh, so we, we would we just prayed for him. And, and you know, um, I'll always remember because it was uh, – well, Kimberly would remember. I believe it was a Good Friday service. So I need to ask her about that. But it was a special service where we had communion. Mm. And – uh, so, sorry about that. But so I'm preaching, or I'm I'm actually leading communion and talking about communion. So I didn't get to experience, but I noticed down front something was happening. Mm. So my my wife was in the front, and my son was next to him, and and he just broke down in tears. Mm. And he talked to his mom about how he needed Jesus Christ as his savior. Mm. And and so you know who, who could put that kind of emotion it wasn't an emotionalism service you know but as he just contemplated the bread and the cup mm. uh, the gospel came to him uh, in a way that struck his heart and 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 uh, brought it to life mm. and so you know that's what the gospel does I mean I another of my sons you know he had a deep problem early on with anger and we prayed about that we knew that he hadn't confessed Christ, you know, we didn't, you know, as a little child, you're not, not sure, have they confessed or mm-hmm. believed or not? Mm-hmm. It's not that he was rejecting, but but there there was a time, too, when uh, and that, this was a home where, where he said, I need to trust in Jesus Christ, my Savior. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm not saying that he didn't have any problem with anger from mm-hmm. that point forward, but it was a noticeable, palpable difference 
mm. uh, that we saw in a five-year-old child mm. in their struggle with a particular sin. Mm. And I say, well, what explains that? Because our parenting didn't change. Mm. Well, it's the life of God in his soul. You know, he, he was a child who didn't have the life of God, and suddenly now a child who does. Mm. And that made all the difference in, in, his, uh, in his ability to to engage with the sin that was wanting to destroy his life, mm. you know. Mm. Well, Pastor Rich, um, thank you so much. Um, I, I love those stories. Um, as a dad who's praying the miracle for my kids, yeah. I'm encouraged. Yeah. And um, as, as somebody who um, uh, is, is good friends with uh, uh, two of the, your three sons, yeah. I'm, I'm thankful that all three of them... We're working on the third, too. Yeah, I, need, I just haven't had enough time with Daniel, <laughs> so, um, but I know I would be close friends with him as well. Yeah. But um, so I think it's, it's significant as we're going into this next year and focusing on praying the miracle that we remember that we're praying for miracles in our neighbors, but we're also praying for miracles in our very homes. Yes. And so thanks for, for, for ending on that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Pray the Miracle podcast. We pray that you found this week's episode helpful and inspiring. Our challenge for this year is to pray for two people who are close to you, but far from God. And so we created a special tool to help you to do just that. It's an email list that will send you a simple action step each week. All of them are designed to get you praying and sharing. You can sign up for a 13-week challenge, a solid 26-week challenge, or go all the way and do the 40-week challenge by going to bethanycentral.org slash pray the miracle.